The title of our passage or message this morning is Getting Near is the Good News. We will be in the book of Acts, but before we dive in, I want to give a brief review of the book and where our passage today falls. If you will remember from our recent series through the book of Acts, the book is broken into sections. Uh, First, Luke, our author, shows us the preparation of the disciples at Pentecost as he shares the Spirit with them. Um, And there's an immediate witness in Jerusalem. The book goes on to describe this progressive advancement of the witness beyond Jerusalem, eventually to the ends of the earth. Today we are in the middle of this outward advancement. We will be covering chapter 8 of Acts, verses 26 through 40. You can begin to turn there with me. And as you turn there, you may notice in your Bibles there's a title over this section. It's going to say, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I know what you may be thinking. What's that line from the Wizard of Oz? Toto, I don't think we're in relations anymore. was it Kansas? In all seriousness, I believe the Lord has led us to this Scripture this morning. It specifically talks to our condition and to the plan of God to bring a sinful people back into relationship with Himself. If you are willing and able, please stand with me as we read God's Word. Acts 8, starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road, and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, 
And he, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This passage takes me back to last October, last Halloween. This last Halloween, my three-year-old discovered his calling. He's going to be a trick-or-treater. The boy loves candy, and sugar of any kind for that matter. As much as he enjoyed sprinting from house to house, his little heart was set on getting somewhere. He'd stopped and eat the trove of treats that he had gathered in his bag. So finally we stop. We go to a friend's dinner party, and we sit at the table, and it is time. He pulls out his favorite chocolate and attempts to open the package. But his little hands cannot get the package open. You see, his little fingers lack the strength and the skill to open the box. He did not have the power or the ability to get what his little heart and now his drooling mouth so desired. He needed someone stronger. But when the box was finally opened, it revealed the treasure hidden inside, the sweetness of chocolate perfectly surrounding the chewy caramel center, what we know to be a milk dud. Now you may be thinking, Reese, what does this have to do with Philip and the eunuch? It is my hope today that we will see that we are much like a child with incapable hands when it comes to our attempts at drawing near holy God. We may desire to taste the sweetness of his presence, but without someone greater to open the way, we will always fail to attain the prize. Our passage today illustrates that Jesus brings near incapable people. And that brings us to our sermon in a sentence. Our sermon in a sentence is this, Jesus brings near the defective. Now in verse 26 of our passage of of Acts 8, we see how our Lord chooses to accomplish this work of bringing near incapable people. The Lord brings a preacher. And that is our point number one. Verses 26 through 31, the Lord brings a preacher. Our preacher is introduced earlier in the book of Acts. Uh, We are familiar with Philip, the evangelist. He was one of the seven chosen because of his good repute and because he was filled with the Spirit and with wisdom. And he was chosen to serve the Hellenist widows, these Greek-speaking Jews that had now turned to the way of Christ. But as you follow the narrative after chapter 6, we see the influx of persecution of the Christians. And this persecution pushes the disciples, as well as the good news that they are proclaiming, out of Jerusalem, the Lord sovereignly uses this persecution, this what others meant for harm, to spread His truth beyond Jerusalem and the Jews and to the ends of the earth, to outsiders. To understand why God brings a preacher, we must look at who God has chosen to send His pre- to do His preaching to. We know Philip. Let's see who the Lord is sending Philip to preach. Verses 27 through 28. Let's read them together. 
And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Who needs a preacher? The Ethiopian eunuch. Why does he need a word from the Lord? It seems to me as though he's got it all together. He's got a high-profile job. He must really love the Lord because he's traveled all this way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem just to worship. That's a journey taking over a month and over a thousand miles of travel. So he is committed. But if we look closer, we can see that despite his social standing in his home country, despite expending great resources to draw near to the Lord, his attempts are all in vain. We can see this in the details of the text. The text first describes him as an Ethiopian. This means that he was ethnically an outsider. He was physically from the ends of the earth. He was not an Israelite. He was not even a proselyte or someone who had converted to Judaism and was not a Jew. This would have prevented him from receiving most of the rights, if not all, that were afforded to the nation of Israel, especially concerning sacrifices and worship of God. But more than being an Ethiopian, he was a eunuch. The text uses this term four different times to describe him. Eunuch, 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 eunuch. We must ask ourselves why this is significant. Well, in short, and in not too pleasant terms, he was either castrated at some point in his life, or he was born with this defect. And it is this defect that would have made it almost impossible for him to worship the Lord according to Mosaic law. We see in Leviticus 21, anyone with such blemishes, and it describes the eunuch, could not approach the altar to make sacrifices to God. This deficiency would have expelled any offspring of Aaron from becoming a priest. How much further away would this put an Ethiopian with no ties to Israel and no priestly heritage? His ailment would have distanced him from worshiping God. But the difficulty of being a eunuch would have not stopped there. We see further in the Old Testament, when we get to Deuteronomy 23, that anyone with these issues plaguing the eunuch would have been excluded from the assembly. Or another way to put it, he would have been disqualified from having any reconciling encounter or any satisfying worship of the Lord. He would not have been allowed to even enter the temple. This temple where the presence of the Lord was supposed to dwell, he could not draw near. He had come all this way, traveled all those weeks, and now he's on his way home, and he's still out of arm's reach. Before Philip encounters the eunuch in his chariot, we see him again searching in God's Word for answers how to draw near, how to experience God. He is reading Isaiah, but something is still missing. 
He needs a preacher. He needs someone to point him to whom this Old Testament prophet is speaking. Philip, prompted by the Spirit, runs to the chariot in verse 30, and we see his first question to the eunuch. Verse 30. Do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch's response sums it all up. How can I, unless someone guides me? He knew he needed a preacher. Now after all of this, you may be saying to yourself, thank the Lord, I'm not a eunuch. But if this is our feeling, we have missed the point of the passage. And we've missed something that is clear in all of Scripture. You and I, we are defective. We need a preacher. I want to briefly remind us with a summary from Scripture what our position is in relation to God. And to do this, we have to go back to the beginning. Chapter 1 of Genesis. God creates the heavens and the earth. He calls light into being. He separates the waters from dry land. He creates plants and animals. And on day 6, He creates man and woman. And He beholds His creation and is very good. But... In Genesis 3, just two chapters later, Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin broke the relationship that God had with His creation. Adam and Eve were forced out of the garden where they once lived among and dwelled with God. And the Lord placed two cherubim, or two angels with flaming swords to guard the garden. My wife and I read a book to our children, a little children's storybook, and it describes what happens here. And it describes these cherubim, or these angels, as a big keep-out sign. In short, the presence of the Lord was in the garden. And now man could no longer draw near. We lost our nearness to God. But God still desired to show that it was good to be near, so He chose a people. And He gave these people His law. And this law showed that he is good and He is a holy God. And that man is sinful, effective, and unable to keep its command. We see the Lord command His people to build a temple. And in this temple, a room defined as the Holy of Holies. And in this room, the presence of the Lord dwelled. But separating it from the rest of the world was a curtain, a veil, and pictured on this veil were two characters, two cherubim, resembling those ones that were guarding the garden. It was another reminder that we cannot be in God's presence because of our sin. And so it is today. With every human born, we are born with this defect. It is not a physical defect like the eunuch, but it is there. And it is spiritual. We are, because of our sin, spiritually far away from God. If you are here today and you would not consider yourself a Christian, I want to ask you, do you believe this? Do you see the effect of sin in yourself and in others? It's a brokenness that permeates the world we live in. It's in the diseases that we have it's in the promises that we break. 
It's in the desires that we have that we should not have. Our hearts and our souls are deficient. Everyone's. Including mine. Including yours. We all need a preacher. But we don't need just any old preacher preaching just any old good news. We need a preacher that can make clear that which is hidden. We need a preacher who can unveil the truth that all the cosmos revolves around. We need a preacher who can open that box of milk does so that we can see and taste the sweetness and the good news of Jesus. And that leads us to point number two, verses 32 through 35. The preacher brings Jesus. In our text, Philip has now joined the eunuch in the chariot and they are together looking at what we see in verses 32 through 33. Uh, this is an excerpt from Isaiah 53. And the question that is hanging over this Old Testament passage is pivotal. It is the pivotal moment of our passage. About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Who are these verses? about look at how our preacher answers this question in verse 35 we see that to bring jesus our preacher starts with scripture verse 35 then philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture he told him the good news of jesus what do we need to do let us look together at the scripture that our preacher begins with Again, verse 32 and 33 are from Isaiah 53, specifically verses 7 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, let's hold our place in Acts and let's turn to Isaiah 53. It is after Psalms and Proverbs, after Song of Solomon, and just before the prophet Jeremiah. And as you are turning, let us remember. Think about this question that's hanging over this prophet's passage. About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Let us look at verse, starting in verse 7, Isaiah 53. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? In verse 7, we see a willing sheep being brought to the slaughter. This would have taken almost any old, early church, Old Testament Christian back to the Mosaic Law, back to that temple where the eunuch could not enter, where sacrifices were made to God. There had to be blood. There was the blood of the sheep and the Old Testament had to be brought near to God to cover the sins of Israel. But not just any sheep. The sheep had to be innocent, perfect, without defect. In verse 8, we see that our sheep described here was also innocent. 
He was oppressively judged. He was wrongly condemned. Again, back to our question. About whom does the prophet say this? These verses are about Jesus. Jesus was like the sheep. He was innocent. He was guiltless. He had no defect of sin. It was His blood that was brought near to God in the heavenly temple to cover the sins of the people. And this was accomplished by His death. Now the eunuch and Philip would have been reading a scroll, so all of Isaiah 53 would have been in clear view. They would have no verses, numbers, or chapters. So they could have clearly seen the slaughter that was in the verses above. Look at me, look at with me at verses, verses five through six. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This slaughter is graphic and drastic. Pierced, crushed, chastised, wounded, dead. Why? Verse 6 tells us the why. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned, everyone to his own way. Genesis 3. We are no longer near our Creator. We are astray. Our hearts have turned. You and I are far off. This is the toll of our defect. But there is good news in the blood of Jesus. According to the law the Lord has given, where there is transgression, there must be blood. Now we see that the blood of Jesus is greater than the blood of the sheep. It not only covers our sins, but we see in verse 5 that it brings us peace. It heals our wounds. It makes right our defective hearts. In other words, it doesn't just get us in the same zip code as God. It brings us near. Now that is good news. Preaching truth about Jesus from the Word of God shows us this news. We cannot hear the powerful message of the Gospel of Jesus and not have some sort of response. My prayer this morning, by the will of God, is that unbelieving hearts would turn to Jesus and that the hearts of those who do believe would be more convinced and cling ever more tightly to the One who saved. But there must be a response. That brings us to our last point. Point number three in verses 36 through 40 is Jesus brings us near to God. We have examined why Jesus' sacrifice is good news. Would you believe me if I told you that that good news gets better? After enduring the wrath of God on our behalf and suffering for our sin, Christ is dead. And then something even more miraculous happens. On the third day, 
the Lord Jesus walks out of the grave. He conquered Satan's greatest weapon against us. Sin and death. And He has entered before us as the forerunner into the throne of the Father and is seated at the right hand of God. What is He doing there? Verse 12, Isaiah 53. The second half of the verse tells us, Yet He bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Notice the tense of these verbs. He bore, that is past tense, that is once and for all, on the cross, done. But He makes. That is present perfect tense. Meaning He was and He is today making. And what is He making? Intercession. In our passage today, the Lord intervenes. He actively draws those with no means to save themselves to Himself. He brings near even the eunuch. Let's look back at Acts chapter 8. Look at verse 36 with me. And they were going along the road and they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now we now see the eunuch after hearing the good news about Jesus asking the question, What prevents me? Preaching Jesus brings near the defective. He does it for the eunuch. He can do it for you and He can do it for me. Just like the eunuch, we have no way to worship God or or to be close to Him because we are spiritually defective in our sins. We have all turned to our own way. We can't get near. But Jesus... He is bidding those of us who are astray, this is all of us, to come near. He has made a way. The keep out sign from our storybook, that veil in the temple, it is torn. The gates of heaven are open. The garden is no longer guarded. Through Christ, we can now commune with our Heavenly Father again. Through sin, we lost our nearness. But through Jesus, we get to come close again. How sure is our proximity to God? How close is our nearness? Isaiah 49.16 describes it this way. These are the words of God spoken through the prophet. God says, Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Charles Spurgeon expounds upon this in his morning devotion. He says, Heaven and earth may well be astonished that rebels, that's me and you, should obtain so great a nearness to the heart of infinite love, that is God, as to be written upon His own palms. It says, I have graven thee. It does not say thy name. Thy name is there, but that is not all. I have graven 
thee. See the fullness of this. I have graven thy person, thine image, thy case, thy circumstances, thy sins, thy temptations, thy weaknesses, thy wants, thy works. I have graven thee, everything about thee, all that concerns thee, I have graven thee all together there. Wilt thou ever say again that thy God hath forsaken thee when he has written thee upon his own law? How near the work of God brings us to himself. I want to close by quickly looking at what occurs in the last few verses of our text. After the eunuch is baptized in verse 38, Luke uses a very specific verse in verse 39. Look with me. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. This may just seem like a random, miraculous act of the Spirit. But Luke, our author, is pointing to something that has happened previously in Scripture. He is pointing to 2 Kings chapter 2. This exact same language is used when Elijah is taken up by the Lord. This scene is called a theophany. It's a fancy term that I have to look up. That means that God divinely reveals Himself. So in this taking up of Elijah, there were chariots of fire, horses of fire, whirlwind. The Lord reveals His awesome power through taking up Elijah. Elisha, the follower who followed after the prophet Elijah, was there. And he was changed by this revelation, this nearness to God. You may be asking why Luke is using the same phrase to describe our scene in Acts. Where is our theophany? I don't see horses of fire. I don't see a whirlwind. But we do not need to see a whirlwind. God has fully revealed Himself through His Son. Jesus does far more for us than the taking up of Elijah did for Elisha. He doesn't just let us know God a little bit or just show us God partially, but He brings us near. We see how this changed the eunuch. He was far off. And now he goes on his way rejoicing, taking the good news home with him to Ethiopia, to the ends of the earth. The truth about Jesus changes lives. How has this truth changed your life? Are you near God today? If your answer is yes, then we must be certain that it is based 100% on trusting and depending on the person and work of Christ. But if your answer is no, I pose the same question that the eunuch asked after hearing the good news of Jesus. What prevents you? Nothing. He is bidding us to come. Turn to Jesus this morning. It is Jesus who brings near the defective. Because getting close Getting near is the good news. Let us pray. O oh Lord, Your ways are great. 
And great is your plan to bring many sinners back to yourself. Lord, we confess that we are often astray. We often turn to this world instead of your Son. We need your help this morning. Give us clear vision of Jesus and what He has done for us, even when we are far off. Bring us near, O Lord. We desire to be close to You again. In Your name we pray. Amen.